0: God's plan for the renewal of heaven and earth is much like his plan described in the Old Testament. He is a refining fire that gives way to new growth, like in Isaiah 6.13 and elsewhere. This is how God's people overcome while under attack. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word in the Scriptures, starting in Revelation chapter 4, verse 6b through 11. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, and the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures... To receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Have a seat. John chap- Revelation chapter 4 is like a stage setting, and the coming chapter, chapter 5, is going to be stage drama. So where we're at is setting the stage for what we're about to see, just to give you a heads up, a little bit of context, right? I want to place this here again, because I... I I live in these sermons throughout the week because I'm preaching them and I want them to connect, so my eyes and head and brain and heart and everything are invested in these throughout the week. I don't assume that's where you're at because it's been a week since you had to sit for three hours under my preaching last week. So John the Apostle has been called up into heaven through an open door. Jesus has arrested him and brought him up into the presence of God the Father on his throne. And now our view, which is John's view, has been elevated from earth to heaven before God's throne, and his his elevate his elevation has given him illumination, because he's been brought up. Now he can see, and so the first week in in Revelation chapter four, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna say John chapter four a few times just because I'm a spaz. Revelation four is what I mean. Uh, the The first week of of chapter four, we saw that we can overcome. We as Christians, we overcome the chaos. Of the world by being overwhelmed by the glory of God, the the chaotic confusion, the warring, the futility, the depression, the anxiety, the scariness—everything is overwhelming. We are aliens in an environment that, in, in an environment that only either wants to force aliens to adapt and become naturalized, or wants to kill you and cast you out. That's that's where we live. And so we overcome the chaos of this world by being overwhelmed by the glory of, the God, of God the Father on his throne, who is over all of those things. And then last week, we, we come to a God, we are brought into the presence of God, we are brought into the presence of, a, of God, a presence that we can't bring ourselves into. Because of his majesty, we can't get to the Father on our own, so the Father sends the Son to bring us up. So chapter 4 today ends with worship. We discover, we see the the worship of the four living creatures and the worship of 24 elders. And so that's where we stand today. I want to pray for us real briefly and then we'll move into the scriptures. Lord, I need your help. This is your word, the word you gave to us via your Holy Spirit. And we need your Holy Spirit help to understand it, not simply for information but to teach us to adore you, to be awed and impressed by you, to be transformed by you, saved by you, sustained by you. Lord, this is a miracle, and it's a miracle you've decided to bring about by the foolishness of preaching, which is the wisdom of your word. And it puts to shame the wisdom of the world, put us to shame in a way that lifts us up and brings us before you and causes us to worship in joy and happiness, because you are glorious. We love you. Amen. So I, I'm gonna I'm going I'm gonna let you in a little bit on maybe a, f- a few of the influences that are supporting and helping me as I preach the book of Revelation because a few times now, uh, folks in our church and outside of our church have gone, "Whoa, Revelation! Really? You're preaching that? That's gutsy." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. That's it takes way more guts than I actually have." Uh, so I'm standing on some shoulders here to to look over a fence and try to to shout. Um, Tim Bice is a pastor down in, in Albany. He's he's a, the pastor of one of our sister churches in Acts 29 um, at Greenbrier Church, and he, and he and I are working through these scriptures and preaching and preparing our notes every week, and he is a pastor's pastor. He's an, He's an older brother. He's pretty much my best buddy, my best friend in the whole world, and I'm lucky to have him. Uh, most of what you hear as far as preaching goes, like, this is always good, but as far as the preaching, if it's good, it's probably his influence on me, okay? Um, but there's another pastor who preached a series of sermons in Revelation back in, like, 2002, and his name is Arturo Azurdia. Would you like to try that? Arturo Azurdia. He's It was a brilliant sermon series, and, and we've been listening and, and reading some of his commentary. And, and as he opens up Revelation 4, he mentions a book that he saw in a bookstore, and I, I want to tell you about what he saw, and because it, it made so much sense. He was in a bookstore, and he saw a book entitled, The God I Want, and the I in The God I Want was italicized, so it's not like, The God I Want, it's The God I Want. That's how it was to be said. It caught his attention. Well, that catches mine. Uh, Tim and I went and looked online. We found book reviews, and it was published in 1967. Um, And the book itself admits, like the author of the book itself admits it could have easily been entitled, God's I Have Made, or The God That I Would Make, or If Only God Were Like. So, like, I'm not trying to cast uncharitable aspersions on some book I've never even laid eyes on myself. The God I want, left to your own flesh, left to your own personal liberties and desires, what kind of God would you want? Like, honestly, what, what kind of God would you want? In fact, if you could have had that God throughout your life up to this point, what would this God have done right that you well you're you're too savvy to say it out loud, probably, especially if you're a Christian or you're religious, but what would you, what would your God have done differently that the God I'm preaching about today totally got wrong? Be honest. If we're honest, the God we want is the one who would give us what we want and when we want it and to the extent that we want it. And he would take away the stuff that we don't want. That's the God that we would create. Of course, we Christians call that idolatry. Every idol starts out its own life as a God that somebody wanted. Every idol Every false religion, which is every religion apart from the one true religion, which is Christianity from God of this book. And they're like, that's really gutsy to say, too. I, I don't apologize. But I just want to say, often, I think in my own preaching, I, I've preached idolatry in this way um, Implying that, that we make an idol out of comfort, or you've made an idol out of, out of security, or you've made an idol out of love or having approval. Um, and I just want to say, to get more specific, yeah, but we don't make an idol out of comfort, right? That's not a God. Your false gods, your false saviors, your idols are the things that promise you comfort, right? None of us are going, hmm, I just love the concept of comfort. No, you're going, there I need comfort, and there is a thing that's promising me that. And the God that you want, the God that we create, would be a God that you can manage. He would, be, he would be a God that I can manage, right? One I could assign my own theology to. And 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 wherever this theology bumps up or grinds against or like you know, totally, you know, overts like what I think is right, I, I may go and find other theology to kind of like make a make a a quilt out of to make a picture of the God that I want. The net result is that either I become God, either I become God and now I run my show. I I decide for me what is best for me and what other people owe me and what I ought to expect out of this world. Ta-da, I'm God, I'm the center of my life. Or the other result is, in making our own gods, is that I fashion a God for myself of my own making. Something or someone else becomes a God and the leader of my religion. And that God is generally composed either of things or people that I love or things or people that I fear and hate. The God that I want. And I guess here's my first point. Here in Revelation, we're going to see the Apostle John fall on his face a lot. He's going to keep this... Like, at some point, we're going to start going, does he have like narcolepsy? Is he just like having sleeping fits? Every, like there are these moments where he's in the presence of either God's glory or the glory of the messenger of God, which is an angel, and he keeps on falling down and worshiping. We're going to see that a lot. And and I'm just going to, here's my first point. No one ever falls down on their face before the God that they want. You would never fall down on your face in awe and fear and respect and love. You never fall down on your face before a God that you've created. Why? Because he ain't nothing special. He's just come up from your own mind, anyhow. He's come up from your own heart. And the revelation in particular, the vision of God on the throne, shatters this God that we want. And instead, we are here standing before the throne of the one true God. What happens? What happens when the true God who wants us is revealed to us in all of his splendor and glory? What happens when he reveals himself in this way? Worship happens. So this is a worship sermon. Next leads me to my next point. You're like, wow, we're popping work through, getting point two already. Don't get ahead of yourself. Um, Second point is worship is a reflex to revelation. In fact, I would say that if there is any main point, sometimes we're like, are we sure Matt has a main point anyhow? Here's probably the main point of today's sermon, which is worship is a reflex to revelation. You see it and you go, whoa, and you worship. Like, for those of you men who the first time you laid eyes on the lady who then became your boss, you were just like, whoa, you caught that, did you? Cool, thanks. I'll be here all week. Um, You went, whoa, whoa. It was revealed to you the first time you laid eyes on your dream home or your car, laid eyes, the first time, like some of, some of you who like, like are sports nuts, like you, you, you can go back to the moment where you became a sports fanatic, like the first time you are like six and your dad brought you to the baseball stadium and you walk through the tunnel in the, in, the, in the stadium and you look and you come and the whole thing opens up and you see this wonderful, it's revealed to you, this field, this stadium, and you're like, whoa. You begin to worship, something gets stirred up. It's some sort of enjoyment that reflexively turns into outward pouring of this is great, that's awesome, that's bigger than me, this is so cool, I want that, I want to be part of that, I want to be around it. Worship is a reflex to revelation. I'll even say as a reflex because it's involuntary, you can't stop it, it's going to happen. I want us to look at reflexively what happens to those who are in the presence of God in John chapter 4. Let's read verse 6b through verse 8. Let's read it again. Around the throne, John saw that on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in the front and behind. That sounds weird. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Sounds like something from Power Rangers. The fourth living creature is each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. All right, let's, let's handle some of this. The, these four creatures, they actually resemble the four creatures that we see in Ezekiel's vision in Ezekiel chapter 1. I mentioned that last week in the sermon, so you can go back and refer to that. But Ezekiel chapter One, these are the four creatures, same guys, right? They also resemble the creature in Isaiah's visions. One of them refers to these beasts, these beast-like things as as angels. One of them refers to them as cherubim. Another one refers to them as seraphim. So what do I do with that? How, How am I going to lead you to do with that? After much studying, here's what I have. That's not the big E on the I chart. There is such a thing as the doctrine of angels, of spirits, right? Uh, it's called angelic theology, right? Or well, that's not even the technical term. I just, angelic theology. It's not even the big E on the I chart. It's not the big main point. I've said this before, so there's a lot of things in Revelation that we're going we're to look at and say, whoa, what do we do with that? If we need to be dog people and not cat people, and that's not because I like dogs better than cats, but here's why. You point with a dog, and the dog looks where you point, and they go, oh, okay, right? You can do that with the dog. You point with the cat, and what's the cat do? What's it look like? It, it looks at your finger. You yeah, eat the food, and, you're, and the cat's like, oh, what? And you're, and no longer does it make any sense to point. You have to like, walk over and drag the cat's eyes down to the bowl, eat the food, dummy, right? The cats only look at the finger. Dogs look at the thing that the finger is pointing at. They get the idea. We need to be dog people here. Ultimately, the big E on our chart chart with these beasts these are high-ranking, probably the highest-ranking angelic beings that God permits into his presence. They're important. They are close to God, and it seems that probably they've always been close to God. They've been in his presence. This is apocalyptic language. The physical forms are symbolic. They have real literal meanings behind them. If you want to get into the metaphor, the simile, fine. There's a lion-shaped beast. Lion's are king of beasts, even historically, even in antiquity. So they reflect the idea of nobility and royalty. Jesus in the next chapter is going to be likened to a lion. So clearly there's a beast there to represent and reflect the nobility and the kingliness of, of God. There, there's an ox The strongest of domesticated animals, right? So like lions are like, I'm a lion, but like oxen, like they're strong. Like they could pull a tractor trailer. It's there to probably represent the strength, the omnipotence of God the Father. There's a human, the most intelligent in the earthly created realm, imbued with the imago Dei, the, uh, a spirit and a soul that reflects God's own soul. So, yeah, that's cool. We're re- re- represented there. And then there's the eagle, the swiftest of the earthly created realm, uh, master of the heavens, right? There's no better bird. There's no more important or cooler bird in the sky than the eagle. It represents how God is master of the heavens. There you go. You don't even have to tithe for that. All right, that was just my best, best stab. Nearest in intimacy, Nearest in intimacy to God's throne is the highest order of angelic beings, the most noble, the most powerful, the most intelligent, the most expeditious. We see them 14 times in the book of Revelation, and they only do two main things. They serve as administrators of God's judicial activity. Can you say that like normal people? They obey God and do what he says, right? We're going we're to see God the Father from the throne go, do this, and one of the beasts is going to do it. And he's going to let this happen, and another beast is going to do it. And he's going to undo that, and a beast is going to do it, and so on and so forth, right? The other thing that we see them do is right here, they give themselves to the act of worshiping God. When? When does the scripture say? All day and all night, night and day. All the time. They seem to be heavenly worship leaders, just like the 24. Elders follow their lead in worship. They got eyes that can look in every direction, seems something akin to omniscient. There's only one person who is omniscient, which means all knowing, all seeing, and that's God. But these things are covered in eyes, indicating to us that they not only see a lot, but they've seen a lot. They can see a lot because they've been given this gift to be able to. They've seen all things in heaven and earth, earthly circumstances. People, places, times, ideas, they've been there in the presence of God to witness alongside of God the outplay of all of human history and His sovereignty over those things. And even with all of those eyes that can see everything, where's their attention? Their focus, their attention is captivated with the God on the throne. They can see anything. We're going to get back on this in a couple minutes, but they can see anything. They have seen anything. And they're just captivated by God on the throne. So their eyes are all over the place, yet it's their eyes that are fixed on Him and they take prominence. Just as a side note, um, it's okay to repeat worship choruses. <laughs> anyone get that? Like, anyone heard, like, oh, these worship songs, are just like the whole chorus over and over and over for 20 minutes. Listen, I'm, I'm kind of personally with you. Like those are worship battles that people get into. I want them hymns with the deep and complex and theologically sound words. I'm like, I'm about that life, homie. That is my kind of hymn okay? That's my kind of worship song. And other people are like, let's go, David Crowder, Chris Tomlin. I, those are the only two Christian artists that I can name. I don't listen to Christian music very much. But like, the guys who, like, it's 30 minutes of college kids in an arena, and there's like candles and, 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 and cell phones taking pictures, and it's just, you know, my glorious, my glorious, 30 Like, I'm with you if you're like, I'm not so much about that. Like, yeah, get me a Gatorade and a cushion. I need to take a break after 10 minutes. That's because I'm a bad Christian and bad pastor. But the beasts, that's their jam. What's their hymn? What, is the, what, they, they, what, is the, what do they repeat? Alt, yeah. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. Verse 8, the four living creatures, their eyes are full around within day and night. They never what? Cease. They never cease. Maybe they got some other worship tunes. Maybe they're singing some Michael W. Smith or, or old school Amy Grant. Don't know. But what we got is they're definitely got something on repeat. Okay? Anyone going, well, I just don't like the repeating chorus. I am with you personally, but I'm not the one who decides and, and puts a hierarchy on the value of what kind of worship songs God prefers. Neither are you. We can decide what we prefer, but yeah, we're not, like we're not on the throne and we're not the one who the worship is about. Yes? Cool. Let's be humble. So, God is the subject of the living creature's worship. It's about him. He is the subject of the worship. That means we need to know the truth of God, of who God is. Not the God that I want, but the God who is. Because the God who is is infinitely better than the God that I want and can create for myself. Verse 9-11. through Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. A lot of focus on he lives forever and ever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So we got the beast and now we got these 24 people these elders, and it's a specific class of beings. They seem to be human beings. We covered this just briefly last week, but they seem to be human beings, and they may very well be, this is theology we're writing in pencil, right? They may very well be 12 church fathers, the apostles, and they may be 12 sons, the, the, the the Old Testament fathers, the patriarchs. But they got these crowns, and then when the worship leaders get, they just get riled up and start flying around and doing crazy junk, right, and, and worshiping God, the elders stand up and they're wearing these crowns and they take these crowns and they put them on the ground at the throne and they bow down in worship. Again, because of the symbolism, let, let's take a look. What, what, you see a crown. What, what does that mean? Like, what, do we, what do crowns share in antiquity and in the modern day mind that we can maybe look at? Well, one crowns have crowns mean honor i i look good i'm not allowed to look bad i look good i have honor i i am powerful and amazing in appearance there's an identity i'm somebody i am somebody Right? There's a difference between the crown that is locked up in the Tower of London that's kept under like amazing guard by the, the, the government of the UK and, and the little plastic uh, thing that we order from Taiwan to give our daughters on the little tiara right for their birthday. There's a big difference between those two crowns. And a real crown means you're somebody. You're somebody. It means victory. I prove to everyone and myself that I am not a loser. I'm a victor. And I... I got power to do stuff. And finally, a crown means status. I'm admired. I'm, I'm looked up to. I'm an important person. And every single one of these elders wearing a crown that symbolizes those things takes it and, and puts it on the ground. What does it say? Do they, do they walk up and like carefully place it? It says they, what, they cast it. Oh, casting crowns. That's another worship group. Okay, cool. Um, They cast it. I don't know if they're like chucking it, but they take what is most beautiful and and honorable that they have on their heads, and it's clearly been, it's important they take it, and they put it at his feet. Like, in contrast to what this means, he means more than what they have in their head that they have, right? We see two types of worship here between the angels and the elders. Two types of worship. One, God is the subject of worship. It's about him. Worthy is he. Worthy is he. The subject. This is what we're about. We're we're talking about. We're worshiping about him. And then the elders in their worship, God is the object of worship. It is to him. Worthy are you. Worthy are you. One is about, and one is to, and both are great, and together they fold hands, right? They clasp one another. You need a right hand and a left hand if you want to open up a jar of pickles, or you need some sort of help. If you want to give a really good full, full frontal bear hug, right? you need two arms, right? So you got worshiping the Lord is about him, about him, about him, and to him, and to him, and to him. It's both and. One kind of worship is about God; the other is to Him. I want to illustrate what 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 happens that transition from one to the other. Any anyone a fan of Dwayne Johnson, The Rock? Anyone like him? I I, I like him. He's he's cool. He's like big. And he's like really charismatic too. He's a money. He's just a money making machine. He's like what the no one since. Spock has ever been able to make so much money and people swoon with one eyebrow as the Rock, okay? And and he just he's awesome. And so I want you to imagine that you, if you are a fan, if you're not, just hang out with us. We'll be back in about three or four minutes. But um, imagine that you're the Dwayne the Rock Johnson fan club president. You started a blog. You have an article. You have contributing people now. You've got a YouTube channel about the Rock. He's really important to you. And all of the articles and all of the blogs and all of the videos and everything you produce—like there's, there's—you now manage a fan club of seventy thousand people who are just smelling what the rock is cooking, and like people look to you. People are influenced by you. They're listening to what you have to say about the rock. You're important. You got a badge. And you, what are you doing? You're worshiping the rock, right? You're proclaiming his glory. You're, to, you're expressing to everyone in the world about how much you enjoy him, how good he is in your mind, and you're sharing that with other like-minded people. And you're recruiting new people. are like, ah, oh, the rock's pretty cool. You know, oh, but this article. No, you're right. The rock is amazing, right? Now imagine, that's worship of the rock as the subject. And then, at some point, the rock's manager goes, hey, I the president of his largest fan club. He's in your area. Would you like to have lunch with him? Now, forget he's the rock if you don't care about the rock. Think about someone really important, right? A musician, an athlete, some other Hollywood movie, maybe a politician, maybe, I don't know, a a pastor. Um, But you're invited to sit down in this person's presence now. You get to look at her face to face, eyeball to eyeball. What are you probably most definitely going to do? You're going to tell them about how great they are and how much you admire them and why you admire them and what a difference that they've made in your life. Are you still worshiping? Yes. But now it's a different kind of worship. It's a worship where this person is the object of the worship. And those two get married, and one of them... Amps up some honor because in one of them I'm talking about. But now, now that I've been brought into the presence of the person, my subject worship becomes object worship, and because I'm in the presence, what an honor! These elders are in the presence of God, and the angels go, "He's worshipful. Here's worshipful. He's honorable. He's holy. He's wonderful." And the elders go, "Yes, and we're in His presence, and it's awesome. It's so awesome." Take my stupid crown. Because all that my crown is just comes from him anyway. He's worth it all. So let's talk about worship. Remember what I said about podiums and pulpits a few weeks ago? You say the word enough, it just starts to sound really weird. Sorry about that. Worship. The things and people that we worship worship. As a sinful default apart from God. It's an expression of my enjoyment and my need and reliance on something that either I really, really enjoy or it's an expression of fear and concern and centeredness on something I'm afraid of and worried about. One of those two things, right? Listen, we were created to worship. Human, did you know that? Human beings are created to worship. It's not a question of if you're going to worship. The question is, what will you worship? We were designed, created by him to worship. So what what sorts of things, what sorts of things do, do we do in worship? Like what does worship look like for human beings? Well, I'll give you a list and you're gonna see them on the screen. We study and learn from a set of scriptures. There's some sort of text, some sort of compendium of knowledge that we study and learn from. We listen to prophets, and we too prophesy, so they're experts, they're teachers. And then we too learn from them, and, and, and we prophesy. We talk about the future surrounding this, this thing that we're worshiping. We give tithes and offerings. We pray. We make, we make pleading statements, and we talk to, as the object of our worship, we, we talk to this idol. We serve it. Or him, we do apologetics. If you don't know what apologetics is, it just means a defense. You explain and defend the truth and the greatness behind who and what you worship. You gather in fellowship with other worshipers, celebrating or mourning. And we evangelize, we recruit, we tell other people, share, we broadcast and proclaim the excellencies of Waffle House or NASCAR or the Braves, or your favorite artist, favorite musician, favorite m- movie. Like, I don't know if you've ever been there, but like standing in the line at bank, at the bank, like I have been more ready and willing and totally at ease to share with someone who is not even talking to me. They're just talking on their phone about where they want to go to lunch and they don't know where because they're new in the area. I have not shared Christ with anyone, especially a stranger, in months or years, but I will turn around and go, hey man, you need to check out X place. You need to go to this uh, great burritos. You got to go there. Oh, well, thanks. I appreciate it. I just made their day better. I feel better. Imagine like if I'm evangelizing Jesus and and, and they're getting saved, right? That's worship, evangelization. Now, what I'm about to say may kind of get us to a place of offense. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, you guys are really weird. Some of you are really weird, too, because every time I go, I don't know, I'm going to go hard in the paint today, and this might be offensive, and then after church, you're like, I'm really a little concerned and worn down and tired and exhausted. I'm like, I'm really hoping I didn't create too much space in our church for next week with that sermon, and some of you are like, Nah! you should have hit us harder. Put some stank on it. I don't don't know what to do with you people, but I love you, and I, I don't hate you. I don't say this sort of stuff flippantly. Jesus wants us to worship him. I'm witnessing, we are witnessing Christians who are whoring after other religions. And some of us, maybe all of us, hopefully all of us, can find the place to confess and see the reality of our own souls and hearts and minds. And find, the, find purchase on the soil to recognize where we really have stood. I'm witness, we're witnessing the worship of false gods, republicanism, patriotism, liberalism, wokeness, blue lives matter, black lives matter. And regardless of what you think, I don't think I named a sinful thing. Do each of those things probably have some element that's attached to the darkness of sin and Satan? Yeah. Satan's got his, he's got his tendrils and all those things. But the, these things have turned for so many Christians into false gods and religions. And we're worshiping at the altar of those things. If you don't believe me, I'll explain in a second. All of those things are chock full of their own sets of beliefs and rules, laws, values, and behaviors. And each of them have their own opposite side enemy that they're against. They each contain their own acts of worship and spiritual disciplines. And at least the American church is in grave danger of the Lord coming home to find us in the bed with another woman. Since I'm an equal opportunity uh, offender, let me go through two ones. I'll go for the low-hanging fruit first. A little more fun. I'm going to, I'm, I'm kind of heavy moment, so I'm just going to lighten it up, all right? So let's, you worship sports, you sinners. Some of you are like, not me. I'll get to you. Let's go through the list. What do we do when we worship? Though, those of us who have an idolatrous religious, we, we, some of us have like multiple religions. We like to dabble. All roads lead to the same place, right? Right? So Oh, we study and we learn from a set of scriptures. Oh, you're into sports, so you're reading the, the, the stats and the articles, and you're reading blogs, and you're, and you're learning from the videos about, about like the team and who's getting recruited and what the managers are doing, and, and, and you, you, you read history, right? You read the history of your sport. Some of you actually like, can beat the announcer on the screen when the game's playing to go, yeah, last time that kind of triple play happened was in 1937 on April 4th, right? Like some of, like we we have a set of scriptures that we learn from and we study and we pay attention and especially if you're a man but also a woman I don't care for those of you who are like I don't the reading the Bible's really hard to understand what it means like you're a liar right you're a liar because this this is hard yeah and you're reading and memorizing statistics and player numbers and jerseys and who's trading who and who's managing what and what play ought to have been done right. listen to prophets and we too prophecy so we watch Sports Center, ESPN and we we watch the videos and watch the streamers and we get we we hear from the people who say sports stuff the way that we agree with and then we get in conversation with with each other oh well now they got that old manager fired man our our season's just we're done man just wait till next year I'm prophesying we're prophesying hey did you hear we're recruiting this guy we get this guy down the pipeline once he's out of the farm league man he's gonna take us to the next level prophecy we're prophesying Right We give tithes and offerings through what your ticket sales, your season tickets your your media pass for your internet and for your TV and cable right and you 've got a jersey with the with the person's name on it and someone else's logo on it and and, and your man your your eight dollar hot dog and your 14 dollar beer at the stadium you're, you're you're giving tithes and offerings to your God, you're praying. You're praying. You write fan mail. You tweet at Chipper Jones. You tweet at these people. Go, hey man, I really need you to do a good job. We're really behind you. We love you. Thanks. It's awesome, right? We we pray to them. We talk to them. We serve, right? We serve. We we like we form groups and clubs. Some of us, like some people I, I know of, have gone and become like boosters for the Braves or the Falcons, whatever. We do apologetics. You, you have fights. Like you ruin Thanksgiving. You ruin Thanksgiving when your cousin shows up with an Alabama jersey on. Right? Oh, for shame. For shame. Thank you for interacting. More of you. Come on, join. Right? Shame. And we have debates about why the tide are stupid and why Michigan is the best. Okay, I put the ball on the tee, but I just get a nod. Okay, cool. And Ohio State, mm, let's not even start, right? We, we do apologetics. We debate. We defend our team. We gather in fellowship because it's not good enough for you to just sit there and eat your pretzels in your own chair while you drink them, uh, a beer and watch the game. No, no, it's not good. We need to get our friends around and we share a communion meal of grilled meat and drinks Together right? We, we, we dip our chips into the same guacamole, right? In honor of and celebrating in fellowship because it's better to do this together as we worship our team and we evangelize. We tell people that, oh, you know, the, we, we proclaim the greatness of the team that we love, the great, greatness of the player we like. That's the low-hanging fruit. You guys got me? Cool. Let's go for the harder one. We study and learn from a set of scriptures which our political persuasion holds dear. I'm not going to name anything anything bad. I'm just going to go like the Federalist Papers or the Bill of Rights or the Constitution, judgments and precedents set down and set forth by this Congress or that Congress or these letters and these, these statements and philosophies from this president or from, from that judge on this court. And we study, and these are our scriptures And we listen to prophets on our preferred prophetic network, whether it's CNN or Fox News, whether it's this online source or that online source, this Twitterer or that Twitterer, and we listen to our prophets, our 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 pundit prophets, and then we too prophecy. Oh no. I have a dark prophecy, my friends. If they... If they steal this election and keep Trump out, oh, it's terrible. Everything's going to blow up. Kittens are going to explode in the streets. You know what's going to happen if we don't get Biden in? More Trump. Kittens are going to explode in the streets. They're going to take this away from you. They're going to take that away from you. They're going to put us in camps. No, they're going to put us in camps if we don't win. Both sides, all sides got this prophecy of this heaven that our side can bring about and the hell that the other side will bring about. Like any of you in a place where, if you have social media, maybe Facebook, any, are any of you in a place where you see like friends of yours who are left to you and maybe right to you, like they start saying, that they start using the same memes about each other and like, yeah, they're, they're using the same meme. Who, which one of you is right? None of them. No one's right here. We give tithes and offerings through political contributions. We pray, we write letters to our senators. We tweet at and send emails and Facebook posts. Through the tithes and offerings we get bumper stickers and banners for our houses and front yard signs. We serve, serving in campaign committees, making phone calls licking letters to put in the mail for people. We do apologetics. We get in there and ruin Thanksgiving, just like last year. But last year was about Alabama. This year, it's about the presidency. We ruin Thanksgiving because we do apologetics, defending he's a good man, and he needs to be the president. And you guys are really, really bad. And you're, you're ruining the country. And you're part of the problem if you're thinking, that I'm talking about your guy bad right now. I Couldn't say a name. I don't have a name to say there. Both sides are saying that sort of apologetics. We gather in fellowship. It's rallies and like boat parades and street parades. It's it's online worship together. We get together and we we have chants. And we evangelize. We evangelize our political persuasion, our political party. Trying to win folks over. It's worship. And it's the sort of worship is who, that's reserved as the subject and object for only one person, only one thing. And it's the one we're in the presence of right now with John on the throne. I am you to see that there's two kind of two kind of categories of worship, like two categories of the false gods that we worship, right? We've got, we got basically what I might call positive gods and negative gods. But they are both gods. Positive gods are things or people that we like, that we want, we dream about. We're hopeful and expectant about these things. We're trusting and believing that they're going to fulfill our lives in some rescuing way. They're going to make our lives better. Not just make our lives better, but they're going to rescue us. It could be a partner, a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or a spouse, or a house, or a car, or a career, Right, or a vacation. It could be any good and or neutral, non sinful thing, but it, it now becomes a a saving, rescuing force in your life. Or there's a negative God. There's a negative view to this. This is things or people that we fear. They they've caused, or we believe will cause us great pain and difficulty. And if and if we don't pay constant attention to them, they'll wreck everything about our lives. So this is your terrible boss your crappy job, your ex, your abusive mom, your neglectful dad, the opposing political party's leader. You see, whatever is at the center of your world, that's your God. And you're either really hopeful and expectant and loving, and you'll do anything to please them, or you really hate and fear and worry about it, and you'll do anything to keep it from harming you and getting at you. But they're at the center. Whatever has your mind, your heart, and your work captivated, that's a God. That's an idol. And you'll worship it. You'll worship it with joy and pleasure and ecstasy, or you'll worship with fear and distress and concern. It's like a heavy, heavy thing at the center of your soul, the center of your life. And it's, a, its gravity well is so great that you're thinking, you're feeling, you're speaking, you're doing is caught in its orbit. And your whole life is revolving around either this thing that, or person that you love or this person that ruined you. And you, you can't move forward. And you're always going to have a limp. And you'll never be better. And no, you can't ever trust anyone ever again. And your thoughts keep going back to the pain and the brutality and the abuse or the rejection or the neglection that they issued forth upon you and sinned against you with. Positive gods and negative gods. And every false god makes promises that you believe will lead to satisfying your soul. Every false god makes promises you believe will lead to satisfying your soul. So it's either comfort or security, approval, love, inclusion, friendship, peace, pleasure, provision. And none of those things are sinful to want. Again, I said a little while ago, we were designed to want those things. God is not looking at any human being, Christian or not, going, how dare you want to be comfortable? How dare you want peace in your mind and your heart and your soul? It's not a sin to be thirsty. It's a sin to drink from the toilet. Oh, that's a snappy, witty saying. Cool. I stole it. But is it biblical? Yeah. Jeremiah chapter two, verse thirteen. Jeremiah two thirteen says, "My people," God says, "My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out, they've dug out cisterns, wells for, the, wells for themselves, broken wells that can hold no water." Those are sins in God's view. And he's the only one whose view counts. My people keep on committing two sins. They don't want me, the source of the water, and they're thirsty. And then they go trying to dig their own wells, finding water for themselves. That's a sin. Like the big deal about Adam and Eve, especially Eve and Adam with like the fruit, is not like the, the fruit was bad and it was a, they broke a rule. No, God goes... You're made in my image, and I'm supposed to fulfill you. you I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm, you're supposed to find me so enjoyable and wonderful and trustworthy that you'll always do what I say to do, and you'll never do what I tell you not to do because you trust me and find me worthy to run your lives. And at some point, Adam and Eve go, eh, but really? That's what it's about. Can we really trust you? Are you really that good? Because I'm hungry, and I'd like to eat something. And God goes, I made all of this, and it's good for you, and I've given you freedom and joy. And you go, yeah, but what about this? And the problem with the fruit is not that it's bad. God made everything good, right? They were digging a well looking for something that they only are supposed to get from God himself in the first place. So what are we going to do with these truths? What are we going to do with John? I'm sorry, I said it. In Revelation chapter 4, written by the apostle John. I want to offer three things. Number one, I want to over, I want us to overcome the false gods that demand your worship by being overwhelmed by the one true living God. You don't overcome these false gods by going. I'm going to decide to hate these false gods. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hate sin. That's how I'm going to keep from sinning. I'm going to hate sin. The way, the way to. The way to overcome sin is to love God. And then as he changes the way you think and feel, then you start getting to do whatever you want to do because he's changed what you want. So I want us to overcome these false gods that are demanding our worship, making these promises, and I want us to get our eyes on the one on the throne. I want us to listen To the words of the beasts and the elders going, holy, 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 worthy, 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 alone, above anything and everyone else. And get our eyes on him. Number two, I want us to confess and repent of the false gods that we've been captivated by and that we've been worshiping. You got to name it. You need to name it. Some of us today, maybe I didn't name your particular brand of poison. Maybe you're like, I'm not that political. I don't really care about sports. Cool. Cool but you've got your poison. And if you have shied away as you've been listening and thinking, and if you've shied away from reflecting and starting to let the Holy Spirit, the Lord, work on you and start to chew on this word, this sermon today, I want, I want to urge you, don't shy away. Confess in your heart and confess to the Lord and maybe even confess to one another. Name and identify, realize who and what it is that you're worshiping in a way that only deserves and belongs to the Lord. And repent, turn away, back to the one on the throne. How do I know? How do I do not know what those are? Not a single one of these all by themselves are good enough to say that you are worshiping idolatry. Altogether, you start checking some of these things off and I think you you're on the right track. Because I'm going to say depression. And sometimes people are depressed and it's, Sometimes depression is not the result of idolatry, and sometimes it is. So don't just go with one of these and go, oh, there it is, right? But are you overwhelmingly and consciously anxious, trapped by fear, trapped by fear of what might happen or what could happen? Are you overwhelmingly and constantly depressed, captive to hopelessness, Finding no joy, making no plans, taking no action. That could be a sign. It could be one of the symptoms. Lack of empathy. Lack of, do you find yourself lacking in empathy? Shaming others, angry at others who don't think like you, blasting other people, even if not on social media or in public, in your own mind? Those idiots not wearing masks at Walmart. They're ruining everything. I hate them. They need to be locked away. They need to be punished. They're idiots. They're stupid. They're not smart like me, because I wear a mask. I'm better. Those idiots who are closing the bars and the restaurants and won't let us go to Six Flags, I want to go to the concert and sing Van Halen directly into the other person's mouth if I want to. It's America, and they're all living in fear, and they're wrecking everything. They're stupid, and if they only were smart like me, we'd get back on track. No empathy. No empathy. No room for any patience or charity of what someone else's motives might be. That might be a sign that your false religion has led you either to become an apostle, a high-lifted-up servant of the religion, or you yourself are the God deciding who and what is evil or good. Obsessed with the news, just obsessed with the news, the social media, the health department, like updates, you're just constantly clicking. Listen, like if you're like checking the coronavirus every day, the numbers like, cool, be informed, be informed, watch the news, watch the news. I'm not gonna pick your news channel for you. But if it's the incessant click and I've gotta go and check it out, I've gotta check it out. It's eight times today that I've looked at my stocks, my portfolio, my, my retirement fund, then I'm constantly checking in with some God that I'm either afraid is going to wreck everything, I've got to manage it, or I've got to constantly check in and make sure that my God is on task because he's great and good, he's going to save my life. One of the reasons why I say anxiety and depression is because, any of you anxious? Depressed? Are you guys worn out? I'm exhausted. All right? All right? And we're only three years into 2021. <laughs> like Facebook and Twitter and church and family, everything exhausting. It's because false gods suck the life out of you. They don't give life. They take it away. These false gods, in, their wor- in your worship with them, they require you to become a beastly worship leader They require you to have eyes covering you. Aren't you tired of having to be an expert on everything and see and know everything and be completely consistent every time you discuss some subject of consequence with other people? Like the idea that you might go, as a Christian, yeah, yeah, man, killing babies is really bad. Abortion is really bad. Don't you care about the children in Africa, though? If you are really pro-life, I... Okay, I, I care about the children asking, "Don't you care about our military Yes, I care about them too. Like apparently, we're going to be required to be experts and comprehensive and omniscient in everything if we're going to speak up on anything or do anything. It's taxing, it's exhausting. And the false worship and religious and the religious worshipers of those false gods require that of this, of us. You're supposed to have eyes that can see and know everything. Otherwise, shut up. It's impossible to be an expert who's completely consistent about politics and religion and race and abortion and justice, the economy, Corona, Dr. Fauci, and Bernie, Bernie Sanders' mittens. I mean, just, you don't, you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. It's exhausting. And all those false gods do is make promises to you. that just pull you deeper and deeper and deeper into the exhausting pit as it just taxes and takes from you. You know something really interesting? He's got these worship leaders, these angelic beast like things, and they're covered in eyes. They've seen everything. They've seen everything. The beasts know who killed JFK, the beasts know about Area 51 and areas 1 through 50. They know about the Bilderberger committee. They know everybody that the Clintons have been involved with and the Bushes. They've read all the CIA files and the KGB files. They were there. They could see the pyramids being built and what they were built for and the aliens who designed them. They've seen it all. And they have all these eyes that even you and I don't have. And what are they captivated by? God, and they're not exhausted, they're singing and worshiping all day and all night, yes, albeit the same worship course over and over again, but they're, they're sustained in their worship, they're not having their life sucked out of them, they have life being poured into them, because the one they're worshiping actually can hold forth on his promises, and he does. Third thing I want you to do this is wear we'll a clothes. I want us to cast our crowns at his feet today. That's how we'll worship. Cast our crowns at his feet. All that you love and you want, all the things and people that you believe will complete you, make you feel safe, provide provide for what you need, save your souls. All the negative gods that hold you back in your bitterness and contempt, the sins and the failures that they've committed against you, and you don't feel like you can move forward and you feel like so much has been withheld or taken back from you, and there's no hope for you. And why ever trust again? Why ever love again? How could I ever place my hands and my, my, myself in God's hands, because it have been failed so brutally? You take either the honor or the pain. And, and you, you just dump it at his feet. And hopefully, by God's grace, you'll find that he starts to weigh and have way more gravity for you than all these other things you've been revolving around as a satellite, and you tip into his orbit. It happens when you cast your cares, you cast your crown, you cast your desires, your wants, your hopes, aspirations, dreams. You cast your bitterness, your fear, your sadness, and you give it to him. We do that through prayer. It's not, I'm not urging that you say like one magical prayer, and oh, you're going to float out of here on a rainbow bright cloud. No. but we worship him. How, how often like, what does it look like for the angels to be sustained? They're, they're kind of with him all the time. You're going to need to spend a lot of time with him in worship. But we cast him at his feet, worship God alone, confess and proclaim the truth about him. Bring your enjoyment and need of his truth to him. Worship God and fall at his feet. And it's not the God that you want.